Um, Dave kind of mentioned it, actually. Um, so I really uh, love music. And uh, one of the questions that I often like to ask my friends when I see them is, who are you listening to at the moment on Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Music at the moment? I've recently been listening to an American rapper by the name of Sho Baraka, quite an unusual name. He's a Christian, and on his 2016 album, The Narrative, he has a song that I really like. It's called 30 and Up, and it speaks about growing up and maturing. In fact, he actually starts the song by saying, I mean, you can't be stupid your whole life. You've got to grow up eventually. Can anyone relate to that, or is it just me? Yeah. <laughs> How many of us, by a show of hands, at some point in our lives have made choices or decisions that have made absolutely no sense? I'm glad to see that I'm not alone. <laughs> My wife and I, um, Sarah, we've been married now for almost 10 years. And I remember early into our marriage, I became incredibly unwell. It was touch and go. And at one stage, it was... I was unsure as to whether or not I was going to make it. It was that serious. I had that incredibly rare condition known as, um, and let me pronounce this correctly, man flu. <laughs> it's the worst type of flu a man could possibly have, as I'm sure many of the guys can relate to. I was coughing and sneezing and spraying germs everywhere. And Sarah asked me, she said, Dave, have you, have you taken any medication for that? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Internally, what I was actually trying to communicate was, no, I'm a man. And everyone knows the best way to deal with man flu is you do nothing. Now, I thought I was being macho. Sarah thought I was being ridiculous. And she was absolutely right. My choice, my decision not to take any medication when I was so unwell made absolutely no sense. Medicine, as we know, is usually taken to change our condition, to make it better. And when we read throughout the New Testament, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus represents change. Wherever Jesus went, he brought about change in the lives of people. And he often uses change to bring us into our destiny, as well as into intimacy with him. And as we heard earlier in the announcements, um, 2,000 years later, Jesus is still in the business of changing lives, as many of the stories in this book reflect. However, God, in his kindness, has blessed us all with the power of choice, whereby we can either choose to embrace change or remain as we are. The title of the talk today is Take the Medicine. And the medicine I'm referring to, of course, is change. And at this point, I'd just like to pray before we unpack this idea further. Let's pray. Father, we just welcome your presence. We say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way amongst us today. Father, I pray that you would come and speak truth into the depths of our souls that would bring about the change that we all so desperately need to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, the main passage of scripture that we're going to focus on today is found in Matthew chapter 8. And just to give you a little bit of the backstory, Jesus has just left the place called Capernaum where he's performed a number of miracles, one of which is um, healing the sick mother-in-law of one of his disciples. He then decides to get into a boat intentionally with his disciples to cross the lake to go to an area that the Bible refers to as the region of the Gadarenes. We pick the story up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the, bank, the steep bank into the, into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And this is the part that I'd like you to focus on. Then... The whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, many of us may be familiar with this story. And the thing that immediately springs to mind is the power that Jesus has over the demons in the supernatural. However, today, I'd like to focus on the people, the Gadarenes, and their response to change. We're also going to do things slightly differently today. And instead of having points to this talk, I have questions, two in particular. And the first one is, why would the Gadarenes plead with Jesus to leave? I guess another question would help us to understand the wayward thinking of the Gadarenes. And the question is, why is it when Jesus offers us freedom from our circumstances forgiveness from the guilt and shame we've been carrying for so long and an opportunity for freedom with him. Why would we turn him down? I think for us, like the Gadarenes, the answer is simple. Jesus is likely to further disrupt, disorder, and mess up our lives, which are often already messed up. He's going to change us. He may even change our direction. He's definitely going to change our hearts. But for some of us, the pain of life change and the humility necessary to allow Jesus to become Lord of our lives is scarier than the pain of life change or staying in our bondage and the pride of staying in our circumstances. The Gadarenes feared the potential change that Jesus was going to bring to their lives. So instead of celebrating the miracle that Jesus has just done and inviting him into their, into their lives to ask him to do more, they instead plead with him to leave. I wonder if any of us can relate to that. For some of us, the answer will be, of course, yes, whilst for others, it might well be no. You might be here today. And you might be thinking, well, I've already invited Jesus into my life, and I certainly have no intentions of asking him to leave. And I would place myself in that category too. But what if it looks different for us? 
What if it's a little more subtle? You see, we may well have invited Jesus into our lives, but I wonder if there's a little area in our lives that we haven't completely surrendered to him yet. That thing that we know that he wants to change, but we're reluctant to let him. I wonder if we all have a little bit of the Gadarenes hidden somewhere deep within our hearts, whereby we say, Jesus, we surrender everything to you. But this little area here, Lord, please, don't go there. I mentioned earlier that I love music, and here's a little pop trivia. In 1993, there was an artist by the name of Meatloaf that released a song, a very popular song that was number one all around the world. The words to that song are, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I wonder if we all have a that that we're reluctant to invite Jesus into to bring about the change that we all need to become more like him. A few years ago, on this very stage, John Munford, the former national director for the Vineyard Movement in the UK and Ireland, spoke here, and he said, you cannot use the words no or but in the same sentence as Lord. It has to be yes, otherwise we cannot use the word Lord. Here at Trent Vineyard, we do something that's known as HOTS, which is an acronym for healing on the streets. And it's an evangelism tool whereby we go out and we invite random strangers to come into relationship with Jesus. And we do it by asking what's known as the miracle question. The miracle question is, if God could perform one miracle in your life today, what would you ask him to do for you? The individual would say something like, generally, well, my mom, she's quite unwell in hospital at the moment. If you could say a prayer for her and he could do something about that, that would be great. Or it might be that I've been suffering from back pain. If he could heal that, that would be awesome. We would then pray our best prayer. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit would show up and heal that individual right there on the street. Now, some of you may know that I'm an introvert by nature. And so the idea of going to share Jesus in the city of Nottingham did not fill me with joy. However, I felt that this was one of the things that Jesus was speaking to me about in the inside and that he wanted to change in order for me to become more like him. So after being trained in this evangelism tool, a team of us went into Nottingham City Centre to try it out. And I was absolutely terrified. I thought to myself, what are these people going to think about me? They're going to think, oh, here we go, another one of those Jesus freaks again. And even worse, what if I bumped into someone or I saw someone that I know and the Holy Spirit prompted me to go and ask them the miracle question? I'm not sure I could cope with that. Very quickly, I got over myself. My heart became filled with compassion and it felt like my heart was beating in tandems with God's for the people of Nottingham. And so the more I asked the question, the miracle question, the easier it became. One lady actually opened her heart to Jesus right there on the street, which was just amazing. And I recall there was an elderly gentleman that was walking with a stick. And I went up to him and I said, excuse me, could I ask you a question? He said, yes, what is it? I said, if God could perform one miracle in your life today, what would you ask him to do for you? Now, I was hoping he was going to say, well, if he could fix my leg, that would be amazing. 
but he didn't. And actually, what he did say was a series of swear words which just cannot be repeated on a Sunday evening. But I wasn't offended by this at all. As I said, my heart was moved with compassion. And I've seen God heal people. He's healed me. And at that very moment, I thought, this could be the day that your life changes for the better. And I imagine this is exactly how Jesus felt when the Gadarenes pleaded with him to leave. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a little bit like being severely unwell with a viral condition that only affects men and refusing to take any medication to get better. It just doesn't make any sense. This brings me to my second question today, which is, what did the the pig farmers have to lose? And I think if you were to ask the pig farmers at the time, they would have said everything. The pig farmers lost a lot of money that day. Their livelihood wasn't only threatened, but it had completely gone in one day. Everything that they worked for, everything that they lived for, completely destroyed. Unlike the rest of the Gadarenes that pleaded with Jesus to leave because of the potential change he was going to bring to their lives, the pig farmers didn't have a choice. Change was enforced upon them. It cost them. And I can understand why they would have pleaded with Jesus to leave. And in all honesty, prior to knowing Jesus, I'm not sure I would have responded any differently. It's the equivalent of a new boss coming to town and making everyone redundant. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm sure I wouldn't be in a hurry to invite that boss over for dinner on the same day that he's made me redundant. When we go through change like this, It can be confusing, overwhelming, terrifying. We can go to bed one night and wake up to a completely different reality. It can leave us feeling lost and abandoned, like we've been tossed overboard in the middle of a storm, left reeling, trying to find something safe, secure, and stable to hold on to. When unexpected change comes into our lives, it can make us feel like we want to run away as though we could ever escape it. Change is inevitable. And as I said at the very beginning, God often uses change to bring us into intimacy and dependency on him. The American pastor, Charles Swindle, said, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. I grew up in a single-parent family with my mum an older brother. And my mum did a fantastic job in raising her two boys, especially with the youngest one. She was uh, a woman that was short in height. She was shorter than me, just to give you an idea as to how short she was. But she had a big presence. She would walk into a room and you would just know she was there from the warmth that she brought with her. She did an amazing job as well as playing the, the role of mother and father in our lives. And I had a great relationship with her. She moved to Jamaica, and we would often speak on the phone. And she would tell me how she was looking forward to retiring the following year in February and coming over to England to meet her grandchildren for the first time. She was 59. And then, on the 15th of November, 2010, I received a phone call 
that I didn't want to take. It was my brother. And he called me to inform me that our mother had passed away. That was one of the most defining periods in my life. We didn't have a choice. She never got to retire, and she never got to meet her grandchildren for the first time. And I never had an opportunity to say goodbye. Just like the pig farmers, I didn't ask for that. Change often brings loss. Whether that's a change in our living circumstances when we lose a loved one, or we move to a new job, which means that we lose relationships with colleagues that we've known for years. Throughout my experience of following Jesus, and in particular during that time, God taught me two things. One, God is real. And I know we know this, but for some of us, I think we know it in the abstract. A little bit like Disneyland, in that one day we may see it. But when we go through the seasons of life-defining change, as we all do, and we all will, these become opportunities for us to realize the reality of God. Two, God showed me that his presence is with us always. And he longs to draw close to us during these changing, these changing times in our lives. Just before Jesus died, he spoke to his disciples because he knew that they would be facing um, changes and loss in their lives, which was quite significant. And he comforted them, and he said to them, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It's often during these life-defining moments that we become truly acquainted with the spirit of truth. Losing my mum at that time felt like losing everything. I was faced with a choice. I could have quite easily blamed God and pushed him away or allow the spirit of truth to hold me and speak truth to me during that turbulent time. That experience taught me to look to him when it felt like my life was falling apart. Whatever change we experience in life, whether it's the fear of change or unexpected change, God is never surprised. During my challenging circumstances, God never once said to me, Dave, I am so sorry. I was just in a three-way conversation with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I completely missed that incident in your life. It just didn't happen. He was there, and he was a part of it. And he longs to draw close to us during those difficult times. Even if it's a change that we haven't chosen for ourselves, we do have a choice on how we respond to it. We either move away from him or move towards him. If we choose to move away, it often leads to bitterness, anger, and resentment. But if we choose to move towards him, 
it often leads to greater intimacy with him and an opportunity for growth. In preparing this talk, I came across the UCB word for today, which is a daily online devotional. And the devotional that I came across was called Welcome This Change. And it said, you cannot become who you are destined to be if you insist on staying as you are. John Patterson, a television director, said, only fools and dead men don't change. Fools won't and dead men can't. Change isn't the enemy. Once you start seeing yourself as a lifelong learner looking for ways to grow and improve, change becomes your friend. The problem for many of us, like the pig farmers, is that we often get stuck with change. The fact that it appeared that it cost the pig farmers everything, it was too much for them to see and recognize that Jesus was actually stood right in front of them with a direct invitation to intimacy with him. One perspective that we haven't looked at throughout this story, and neither did the Gadarenes, is that the restored demon-possessed men is that of the restored demon-possessed men. And in the miracle that Jesus performed in their lives, he demonstrated the power that he has over natural and supernatural circumstances. And that power was and still is available to us all today. The Gadarenes missed it. They focused on the wrong thing. When a problem or a change occurs in our lives, there's always potential for us to focus on the problem or the unwanted change rather than what God wants to do through us in the circumstances. In a very similar way, we're each capable of missing or avoiding the changes that God invites us into. It might be that right now, God has been nudging you towards a change in your lifestyle, maybe inviting you to stop or start something. It might be that your circumstances are changing outside of your control, similar to the pig farmers, and he's waiting for you to respond. The thing about Jesus is that he's always bringing about change in our lives. The question is, will we allow him to do it? So how do we do it? How do we move through change? I think in order to answer that question, there's only really one place we can go, and that is to hear the Bible, the Word of God. When we look at Jesus' life throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, we see that his life was changing constantly. Relationships were changing. Situations were changing all the time. Lazarus, his close friend, died. John the Baptist, his cousin, was killed. One of his disciples betrayed him for money. But yet what we see all the way throughout the Gospels is that Jesus spent a considerable amount of time in prayer. So, for example, we see in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus' response to the news that his cousin had just died. His head, John's, was brought in on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. John's disciples then took his body and buried it. Then they went to and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. A couple of years ago, Sarah, my wife, she uh, paid for me to go away on a weekend silent retreat. 
I'm still trying to work out if that was a gift or a punishment. (laughs) I'm joking. It was an invaluable gift. So much so that I've become a regular visitor, an annual visitor to a beautiful place in North Wales called St. Binos. It's a place where we can go to meet with God intimately. And during my first visit, I was assigned a spiritual director for the weekend. And she spoke to me about the uh, examine prayer. The examine prayer is a prayer of consciousness. The idea is throughout each day we reflect on the past 24 hours with God as a way of recognizing his divine presence that is, of course, with us all the time. The author, Richard Raw, said, we're already in the presence of God. What's absent is our awareness. Like the pig farmers, if we don't take time to become aware of his presence, we focus on the wrong thing and miss the change God wants to do internally with us. The examine is an effective tool for our ongoing spiritual development and formation in becoming more like Jesus. It's a way to break away from the noise, clutter, and distractions um, and to, to hear what God has to say in the silence. It's not just about becoming God-aware, it's also about becoming self-aware on our journey of life with Jesus. And we'll practice this in just a moment before we go into ministry time, but I'd just like to share with you an overview of how it works. It's a very simple yet profound five-step prayer, which starts with us becoming aware of God's presence, just by being still and resting in him. It then moves to gratitude by thanking him for the big and small things that have occurred in our lives recently. From that Costa coffee that your friend brought you at that just the right time, which made it taste even better than it usually does. To that problem or that situation that's occurring in your life, which then becomes another opportunity to trust God. The third step is becoming aware of our emotions. There are often emotions within us that are bubbling beneath the surface. And to name them often takes the sting out of them as we give them to God. One feature is where we, where we think about one feature from the day, either a joy or a burden we've been carrying, and we give it to God in prayer. And lastly, looking ahead, where we look ahead to the next few hours with Jesus through the lens of gratitude, trust, and expectation, knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. I have found the examine to be invaluable in my walk with Jesus. It's brought me to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And I think that this is key in helping us navigate those changing seasons within our lives. As I mentioned earlier, change is the medicine I've been referring to throughout this talk. And sometimes change isn't pleasant. When I was younger, my mum used to give us medicine and it tasted absolutely awful. Unlike today, our children would like to take Calpol and Nurofen even when they're not sick. <laughs> but very similar, change can sometimes be hard to swallow. But God always works it out for our good. A few weeks ago, John Wright did a talk on the life of Paul. And Paul was another follower of Jesus. 
And he experienced a lot of hardship and a lot of change. And in that, Paul writes in the book of Romans, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. If we allow God to be the Lord of our lives, there will be change, and it won't always be pleasant, and it won't always be easy. It might affect your career. It could be redundancy. It might involve changes in your lifestyle, like opening your home and family to fostering and or adoption, or a financial pay drop to do something that God may be calling you into. It might even involve changes in how you use your spare time. God might be leading you to get involved in a ministry here at Trent, such as serving in Trent Compassion over in the Arches one Saturday a month. Or it could be the kids' team. Or it might even be getting involved in a small group and attending regularly. We have a saying here at Trent, which is, change is here to stay. I wonder if we're ready for change this evening. I wonder if we're ready to take the medicine. At this point, just before we go into ministry, we're going to practice the presence of God in the form of the examine prayer that I mentioned earlier. It might be helpful to sit comfortably in your seat and relax your shoulders and perhaps close your eyes. I'm going to read a short extract from Psalm 46, which will bring us into a time of silence, which will bring us into the awareness of the presence of God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Through the lens of gratitude, look back over the past few hours of the day. Look at every detail. What is there to be thankful for? If there's been difficulty, thank him for another opportunity to trust him. Now become aware of your emotions. 
How are you feeling? Not just on the surface, but beneath the surface. Give the emotion a name. If you can't give it a name, maybe there's an image. Become aware of how you're feeling and give it to the Lord. Think about one feature from the day, a joy or a burden you're carrying, and give it to him. Take this moment to pray. Lastly, look towards the next few hours that are in front of us. Think about what's coming up. And with the lens of hope, trust, and expectation, give it to the Lord. Say to him that you trust him to be involved and for his will to be done. Amen.